Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. For today's podcast, we continue our conversation with John Baugh, the Margaret Bush Wilson Professor in Arts and Sciences. Dr. Baugh is affiliated with a number of departments here at Washington University in St. Louis, including psychology, anthropology, English, and African and African American studies. His primary area of expertise is linguistics. In our last podcast, we heard about how a personal case of housing discrimination jump-started Dr. Baugh's interest in what he calls linguistic profiling. Today, we'll hear more about his research. We left off in the late 1980s, when Baugh was using his own voice to conduct experiments about how landlords reacted to potential renters who spoke with various dialects. To hear how this was possible, take a listen to this clip from last week. I manipulated the experiment so that I would call the very same landlords on different occasions, and I would modify my dialect, and I would call and I'd say, hello, I'm calling about the apartment you have advertised in the paper. And because the neighborhood that I lived in had a lot of Latinos, I would call on another occasion and say, hello, I'm calling about the apartment you have advertised in the paper. So how did this one experiment turn into decades of research? It started with a bit of luck. Well, there was a, an extraordinary coincidence. A former graduate student that I had worked with accepted a position in Washington with the National Fair Housing Alliance. And by coincidence, the National Fair Housing Alliance had been doing some experiments of their own with African-American and Latino callers and were discovering in many instances that they were being denied housing just simply based on the sound of their voice over the telephone. So they got in touch with Ba and asked him to collaborate. Together, they expanded the research to more areas of the country and also included more dialects, which gets to an important aspect of linguistic discrimination. This research started out in housing with African-American and Latino callers, which might make you think this is really just another form of racism. However, though the two ideas can be related, they aren't exactly the same. Whereas racial profiling is based on visual identification of someone's race, and then someone acting upon that racial identification visually in a discriminatory way, linguistic profiling considers the fact that people of the same racial background can have very different dialect speaking patterns. This is true across racial and ethnic groups. For example, imagine two white men. One grew up in New York, the other grew up in Texas. It's likely that these people have different ways of speaking. And in some ways, they too can be subject to linguistic discrimination, and not just in housing. A grant from the Ford Foundation allowed Baugh to study linguistic profiling in the areas of housing, education, and employment. So imagine that these two men are lawyers. An attorney who works in Texas, who sounds like the younger President Bush, can do so quite successfully. But that very same attorney 
might have difficulty working in Chicago or Boston because of stereotypes about the Texas accent and vice versa. The Boston attorney may find that when they're in the South that they encounter stereotypes about that New England Yankee dialect that doesn't play well locally. And again, that's within, you know, a single racial group. So it makes some sort of sense, even though it's discriminatory, that people give preferential treatment to people who land within their linguistic comfort zone, who sound like they sound, or at least like the people they grew up hearing. But Ba has found that linguistic profiling has even broader consequences. For example, Ba has found that when many Americans hear a certain kind of British accent, they assume the speaker is highly intelligent. Other linguistic groups don't get the same reaction, and this is actually testable. What we did in a series of experiments was we had uh, a well-educated speaker of upper-class British English read a passage that was fairly innocuous. Identical passages were read by African-Americans and Mexican-Americans, who spoke with accented English, but without any grammatical errors. And then there were even more linguistic groups added to the mix. And then we took Japanese-Americans, Mexican-Americans who were native Spanish speakers, and German-Americans. These were all native speakers of German first, Japanese first, and Spanish first. And in their passages, which were similar, we carefully introduced a combination of grammatical errors and pronunciation errors that were stereotypical of people from that linguistic background. Ba and his fellow researchers asked a random sampling of people from around the country to listen to these voices and evaluate the speech they heard on a variety of scales, including intelligence. And the results? They perceived the British dialect to be the most intelligent, followed by the German dialect, then the Japanese, the African-American dialect and the Mexican-American dialect were then ranked somewhat lower than the foreign-sounding German and Japanese accents, and the native Spanish speakers were judged to be the least intelligent in this overall statistical survey. So two out of the three groups that placed last in terms of perceived intelligence read the exact same passage as the educated British accent that placed first. Same words, same order, no mistakes. So you may be asking, how did people justify these rankings? Well, Ba and his team had the same question, and they asked. In the exit surveys that we did with the subjects who listened to these dialects, we asked them why they judged the people in the way that they did. And what was very interesting was that they said that they could tell that the speakers of the German-sounding accent and the Japanese-sounding accent were obviously English-language learners who had not learned English natively. And so they made a concession for their intelligence. But we controlled the African-American dialect and Latino dialect so that they had no grammatical mistakes. And so what that said was that someone who speaks, for example, like Reverend Jesse Jackson, even though he may use standard English grammar, 
the fact that his pronunciation sound African-American, for some people, that's enough to say, oh, he's not as intelligent as someone who sounds like, you know, Tom Brokaw or, you know, one of the broadcasters that you hear on the national news. Dr. Bach conducts these types of experiments not only to prove that linguistic discrimination exists, he believes that recognizing these types of stereotypes has practical implications. For starters, to counteract existing linguistic discrimination, policies are needed to better equip places like courtrooms and hospitals to serve the needs of people from a variety of linguistic backgrounds. Because translation services or other types of support are often not available, Boff frequently serves as an expert in criminal cases of linguistic discrimination. As he tells in conferences, this is one of many roles that you might be surprised to learn a linguist is asked to take on. I would often ask the audience, when's the last time you had a problem and said to yourself, oh my gosh, I need a linguist, right? And it's really quite rare, but linguists can actually be very helpful in many, many instances. Um, I'm actually working uh, as an expert witness in a murder case right now where one of the individuals who's been accused of the crime was recorded in jail making a certain conversation. Well, the particular defendant is an African-American from the inner city who speaks with a very strong dialect. And the people that transcribed his jailhouse interview were unable to decipher some of the things that he was saying in very rapid speech, including the fact that he actually denied the crime. Entire chunks of the transcript provided by the prosecution claimed that the speech was unintelligible. But when Ba listened to the original recording, he was able to identify what the man was saying. Moving beyond the courtroom, in order to increase linguistic acceptance rather than simply tolerance, Ba also believes in other types of policies that reach people when they're young. What is really needed to support this is educational reform in schools. Many schools now, faced with tight budgets, have cut back on foreign language education. To the extent that foreign language education is offered, it's offered fairly late in the education of children when their brains are actually less capable of acquiring a language than when they're younger. The basic thinking behind this is that, especially in a global economy, linguistic diversity should be looked at as an asset. When faced with linguistic discrimination, for generations, immigrants from all sorts of backgrounds have felt pressured to give up their original language and their accents, or at least encourage their children to give those things up. As a linguist, Bob believes that this is unfortunate and that those trends can and should be reversed. The policies are intended to increase the acceptance of linguistic diversity and, whenever possible, to encourage those who speak languages other than English to maintain fluency in those languages as well. In the meantime, plenty of work remains for Dr. Ba and other linguists. I've been a linguist for over 30 years now. I get up every day and I'm still excited about what I do, and, and especially so if it can be helpful to other people. The thing that has been so rewarding at this point in my life is that a great deal of the work really does support 
the advancement of equal opportunity. And any true American, regardless of political persuasion, should believe in equal opportunity for all. Many thanks once again to John Baugh for contributing to Hold That Thought. You can find our weekly podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and at thought.artsci.wustl.edu. You can also search for Hold That Thought on Facebook and Twitter. 